Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Great to be here again today. A bit of a chilly day to take your dog for a walk, but still a good one. It's dry so far. Yeah. So. Get out there, get some exercise, get some mental and physical stimulation, breathe deeply, put your phone down, yeah, and just be with your dog. So it's good stuff, therapeutic. Let the cares of the world <laughs> flow uh, yeah. away. <laughs> so um, I have a great show today. Uh, it is National Hospice Month, month uh, the month of November. And uh, we have done some shows over the years around end-of-life topics for dogs uh, where it's the dog's end-of-life, um, either preparing for or dealing with the grief that comes after having to say goodbye to a beloved four-legged family member. Um, and today we're talking, um, I have some guests with me today. I have Stephanie Mel and Judy Finn. Stephanie is with uh, Providence Hospice and Judy is with uh, is a palliative care nurse with Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and Stephanie has a few roles with Providence Hospice. You do some education um, and some direct uh, direct patient contact as well. Both dog lovers. Uh, I actually met Stephanie unrelated at the Vashon Sheepdog Trials yeah, two right. years ago. So that's kind of fun. Um, <clears throat> and then Judy works, has a, a therapy is a therapy dog that you are yep. teamed with, <laughs> yes. your, your puppy, um, and have worked with... Uh, in a nursing home setting, uh, a few times in a in a hospice kind of setting, and then also in this um, camp that I'm excited to talk to you about called Camp Aaron, and it's a um, grief camp for kids, which mm -hmm. just is amazing. So <clears throat> lots of really uh, lots of really great conversation, an important conversation because death is not something that we are. I think terribly comfortable with as a culture in America talking about it's it's uh, very hidden from us um, one of my favorite classes in college was a, a sociology class actually called the social organization of death and dying mm -hmm. and I learned so much and um, I felt like that was one of the most valuable classes for me as a human on this planet and as someone who has friends and family members to be, um, you know, kind of learn about grief and, and, you know, one of the things is like, oh, you know, you don't want to bring it up because you don't want to upset them, but people need to connect and communicate around their feelings. And and so I'm excited to bring, just to sort of bring have a conversation around an end of life also and talk about it and, and, and help people not feel so afraid and um, give people some education about it. So Welcome, everybody. And then, Alex, remind me of your last name. Yurik. We also have Alex Yurik here, who is a, a brand-new um, employee of Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and has done some 
research in her educational past around the physiologic benefits of um, dogs and uh, all sorts of stuff. And we actually met at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show last year, was it? Or a couple years? Yeah, a couple years ago, too. So it's so... um, And then Judy, I had was given your card separately from my connection with Providence Hospice through my hairstylist, who is a volunteer (laughs) at Camp Erin. And it's just funny to have all three of you here and sort of coming together from different directions. I feel like it's a good sign, you know, not that I need one, but when things come together like that. That's true. Okay, so Stephanie. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, that's perfect. great. So um, will you just... uh, Give us um, just a little bit of information about what is hospice. You know, what does it? What is the um, the purpose of hospice, and how does hospice help support families? Yeah, so hospice is considered end of life care, mm-hmm. and the goal of hospice really is manyfold, um, but predominantly it's about helping people be comfortable to take away suffering, and that suffering can be physical, Mm -hmm. emotional, spiritual. Yeah. Um, But it's really about helping people live as well as they can until they're not. Mm -hmm. It's, there's a huge role for hospice folks to help patients and their families understand what end of life looks like because most of us don't. We haven't had a lot of experience with it. Mm-hmm. When people get that coaching and that education, often anxiety goes away mm-hmm. to a large extent. It never quite goes away, but it's so unbelievably helpful when people understand what's happening to them mm-hmm. and are prepared and they know what might be next and that they have resources available to them 24-7. And that's one of the beauties of hospice. It's one of the few things in our healthcare system that's available to people 24 hours, seven days a week. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things that you had talked about when we were talking earlier is, um, and I think this is a general fear for people that plays out in all areas of life, um, but is this fear of being alone. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that really uh, complicates things for people around end of life. One of the um, most common challenges that you you see with people is that they're afraid of being alone and afraid of pain. Yeah, I would say um, those um, there's there's many fears that people have as they get closer to end of life. Yeah, um, but those two are very predominant and and very common and almost expected. And if we expect those things, um, it's our job to help people know that we are working hard at minimizing those things. And, and, and we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a beautiful area for where dogs can be helpful, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, people, people are often very afraid of being in pain and suffering, even more so than the actual act of dying. Well, it's such an unknown, too. It's like when you're trying to figure out, you know, in your head, predicting what to expect, which is what our brains do, right? And it's usually much worse than what the reality is. Yeah. And people don't understand that. Well, and how do you even wrap your brain around, like, well, I'm going to die soon, or my family member is going to die soon, 
it's hard for us to really conceive because sure. then there's like that big then what happens that we can't answer. Death is the big black hole mystery yeah, that we right? just don't understand. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's sort of a, it really is a unique um, experience to connect to, I think, in this world because it puts us up against a big unknown that we all have in common. 100% of us. Yeah, right. As far as I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you have said that, so you're a dog enthusiast. Uh, you have a Border Collie mix. I do. And uh, and we met at the sheepdog trials. So you're Correct. somebody who goes to that as a spectator every year. Every year, <laughs> my favorite event. I know it. It's highly an awesome recommended. Event. Yeah, it's like June 9th this year. Just yep. a little plug for that. Vashon Sheepdog Classic. dot com is their website. Um, and so you have found that. So one of one of your roles professionally is that you will actually go to meet with families or individuals who are especially having a, a, an especially hard time. Yeah. So I'm a nurse and I, um, like Judy, have difficult conversations with people. Um, meaning that I get called into patients and families that are likely to be very appropriate for hospice, but for some reason, um, whether... They're emotionally having a much more difficult time or the families are in one place emotionally and the patient is in another place or there's some real complexity or difficulty where it's hard for this particular person and family to transition to hospice. Mm -hmm. I get called in to see those folks Mm -hmm. often. Um, And I'm often the first face of hospice and people are not not exactly happy to meet me or see me, Yeah, you can imagine. Sure. So when I walk in the house of a family that has a dog, and very often I might even, if it's appropriate at that given moment, and I can sense that, if I will, I'll often focus on the dog first. Yeah. Um, because it's just unbelievable bonding for all of us for and helps patients and families um, kind of relax a little bit to see someone who they were fearful of seeing all of a sudden loving a member of their family and and I perhaps get over the over the top sometimes <laughs> and people know me I'm very nutty about my dog love um, but it's it's a way in and I need to get in with yeah. these people to help people. Yeah move and transition to another place. And it's a way in that I think is specific to heart connection and trust. You know, the things that dogs really represent to those of us who feel a connection to dogs. It's it's a it's a very unique powerful heart connection and then there's also this sort of credibility that for those of us who are dog enthusiasts, if somebody else is really into dogs, boom. They must be trustworthy, at least to some degree, right? We've instantly have a connection. We have something to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I rarely, <clears throat> when I'm meeting people, you know, and it's like, oh, what do you do? And it's, you know, oh, you know, host a radio show all about dogs, and I work with dog behavior and training, and it's like, oh, my dog, you know, blah, blah, blah. Instant. Instant. 
So the heart and, you know, we'll talk with um, I know you have some stories to share and then we'll talk with Judy also about your experience working with your therapy dog and mm-hmm. um, just sort of bringing out it's not like you share an interest in cars. Right. It's dogs and that and that that really brings a unique uh, emotional connection in such a tender, really sacred time. And for me, too. Yeah. You know, it's so unbelievably helpful to patients and families, but it brings me a great deal of warmth and positive feelings for a difficult situation for me very often. Yeah. And people feel that. Mm -hmm. And there's a connection. Mm -hmm. So you said um, that you have a story that you've heard from other nurses in their work with dogs in this setting. Right. And so since I'm not actually doing dog therapy per se, right. I did um, speak to a few of our nurses and a few of our volunteers um, at Providence Hospice um, to accumulate some interesting stories. And I do have two. Um, and the first one is from one of our nurses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe, oh, I forgot her name. I think her name was Joanne. Anyway, this is what she wrote me. She said... His name was Mahoney. He was the best black lab and belonged to one of our patients in the university district. His name was Jack. Jack was never married, and he had no children. He had a car for Mahoney, and when he took him anywhere, he always used Mahoney's car. (laughs) They ate together. Whenever Jack sat down to eat, he gave Mahoney something to eat at the same time. And I really took a liking to Mahoney whenever I visited Jack, and Jack would say how much Mahoney liked me. Well, Jack passed away, and his best friend, who was a lawyer and his power of attorney for his health care, this friend called me when Jack died and asked if I had any interest in in having Mahoney and adopting him. I was thrilled, and I did adopt him. He quickly eased in as a welcome member of our family. I soon changed his name to Ma Honey Mahoney, because he could stand up and put his paws on your shoulder and rub his face over and over and on my cheek. Life was good for us and Mahoney as well. He stayed happy and healthy living with me and my partner. Well, one day Mahoney went for a walk in the yard, and when we went to look for him, he had curled up and he had died. Of course, I was devastated. I contacted his DPOA, um, uh, Jack's DPOA, to let him know that Mahoney had passed and he reminded me that that, say, that the day Mahoney died was exactly two years to the day that Jack had died. Mm. And we decided that wherever Jack went after he died, he must have decided that it was a good place and called his Mahoney to join him. Mm. And that's my story. Mm. And um, I, partially, I partially brought this story up because that's something that often happens in the hospice world is our own staff see patients who might live alone or their family members can't care for their dog, and we know this is going to happen. So often our staff are involved in um, perhaps um, getting the dog adopted or adopting dogs themselves, and there's almost a regular every few months call out Mm. for Mm -hmm. someone um, at Providence Hospice to see if anyone is interested in a particular dog. It brings up some awareness for me of this <clears throat> little bit of a a hole in 
in how in this world of how we care for care for dogs who have families, right? So there's a lot of dogs in the shelter system and and uh, who need homes, and and there's that whole world of it. Um, but you know, I know through Old Dog Haven, which is a um, local organization that gets old dogs out of shelters, and we have one of their dogs, Lois, who's been with us for two and a half years. Um, and they say, you know, that could be one way that an old dog would end up in a shelter is that their owner passed away and they didn't have, the dog didn't have, you know, an advocate. Right. And it, it I'm just sort of aware of this, like, um, you know, curious if there are any organizations or that it would be an opportunity for a volunteer um, type entity to specifically be an advocate for somebody who has a dog and who doesn't have plans intact that they feel are bomb-proof for the dog. They know that they're that they're close to end of life and that their dog will be left living mm-hmm. without them. Mm-hmm. And where does the dog go? I mean, I can't imagine being if if I was a person who just didn't have community in place to help with with a, a beloved dog. I mean, and this guy with Mahoney, I mean, those two were obviously soulmates of wow. some sort, right? Yeah. So car. <clears throat> so to <laughs> to to you know, have some presence uh support for these people and for their dogs so that the dog doesn't end up just in, you know, in a shelter or something, you know, right. that helps place dogs whose owners have passed away. So Right. And our staff will work with people yeah. who are experiencing that fear and that unknown yeah, there is an organization called Rebecca's Rainbow, mm. and it's also a local um, place that specifically works with people um, who have died, and so someone could get in touch with them beforehand. They're mm. overwhelmed, right? They don't yeah. have the the capacity to do many. But um, I had an experience. I don't know if I can share this with. Yeah. So this is our uh, Judy Finn, who's a palliative care nurse with Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and who works with her dog in a therapeutic setting. She has a therapy dog at a with working both with hospice and grief. Yeah. Well, so this was a situation very similar to Stephanie's talking about where I had a patient who um <clears throat> lived alone and she was clearly getting to the end of her life and I asked her, "So, what are you most worried about right now?" And she said, "My dogs." Mm-hmm. And she had two dogs, Sam and Petunia, mm-hmm. um, who were elderly dogs, eleven and like twelve. Mm-hmm. And I worked with her to try to find someone who could care for them. Um, uh, I ended up taking them for nine months while we were trying to place them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it happens even in in other settings where if you really connect with someone and find out that that's what's most important to them, and that's what we do in palliative care also, mm-hmm. then then it would be that uh, you would find out this is what what would make them feel the most comfortable at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. I, if I was in that position, that would be my biggest concern. Of course. Would be my dogs. Yes. You know. But, but it really takes someone who knows dogs and who yeah. loves them to even think to ask that. Sure. So... Yeah. Yeah. So that was a personal experience. Um, And in talking about therapy dogs and working with um, hospice patients, so or someone who is dying, 
Um, I think it's important to know that not only do the the dogs have to be uh, and the human com- partner have to be trained to be therapy dog, a therapy team, but I volunteered at Providence, and you also have to take um, hospice training. Right. So you have to know how to be a volunteer to work with people at end of life, in addition to also being a certified. Um, dog dog therapy okay. partner team mm-hmm. and therapy dogs are always teams they're you know and it's the that human and that animal that are together that really makes um, the 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 team so important mm-hmm. and makes it work mm-hmm. so what would be some things that a a therapy dog team would be sensitive to in a hospice setting or that education versus a natural disaster? Or just as an example, or, you know, any other uh, situation? Yeah. Well, I think um, you would have to know um, the fragility of some of the patients that you're, people, the humans that you're working with who are hospice patients, so that to be aware, um, to know if someone's in pain or... um, there is some uh, deficit that you need to be aware of. Uh, you also need to be sensitive to the family members and to um, the the grief that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the the raw emotions that sometimes happen in a in a hospice setting. Do you think? Go can ahead. I just contribute? Um, just being a compassionate presence mm-hmm. is for. Some people, something that has to be learned and mm-hmm. um, experienced a number of times in order to do it a little bit more comfortably. And mm-hmm. that's what volunteer training allows these folks to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, they get, you know, the education on what's happening at end of life, the pain potential, the feelings of isolation, um, and learning how to really be there with somebody, mm-hmm. even if one doesn't have the words yeah mm-hmm. uh, is is often a skill to be learned mm-hmm. Judy do you think that there's um, a specific you know I'm curious about dogs experience of being um, in the presence of death mm-hmm. and there what is your um sort of opinion based off of your experience working with dogs and working in a in a hospice setting and in and around um, end of life uh, are does uh, and I know every dog is different so some dogs are you know more cut out for it than mm-hmm. others some mm-hmm. dogs are just not cut out for therapy work at all they're you know so that's that's kind of a given but um, I'm just curious to hear what you think the dogs sort of perspective is or experience is or, you know, thoughts and feelings? Well, you know, um, I really think that dogs, um, well, I'll talk about my dog in particular, that um, she can be wild and crazy on her own. But when we go into a setting, she senses, I think dogs have a way of sensing, especially dogs that are that are good at this, sensing what the needs are and mm-hmm. can be calm, can be... Um, uh, sensitive and gentle even with with uh, the setting 
Um, so, and I also think that you as the human partner have to be sensitive to signs of stress and really pay attention to that. And if you see your dog stressed, then you need to remove them. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it's really, I think they do really pay attention mm-hmm. to what is going on. Do you think dogs have a different view of death than humans to generalize? I don't think I could. I don't think I could answer that. Whether I think they have a different view of death, but I, but I do think that um, they are accepting of what a person is at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so they may not um, see the um, um, all the the grief or sadness in in the family that someone couldn't be there with them or someone that couldn't talk, that it's really hard to be with them, where a dog can just just be mm-hmm. in their presence mm-hmm. and accept them for who they are uh, and, and listen without uh, giving a, you know, feedback, oh, that's a, such a terrible story, that they can just listen with their presence mm-hmm. and not overreact. Yeah. I think that's what makes a good therapy dog in this situation. In well, particular. There's, yeah, there's two things that really stand out to me of really the benefit. And I think that we as people can learn a lot about from dogs, about relationships is um, being with somebody without needing to talk and then also um, being good listeners. And mm-hmm. I think especially now, uh, I know I have been reflecting a lot about how we listen to people in this country. Yes. Um, and how, you know, communication is part talking and part listening. Mm-hmm. Probably and, more listening than yeah, talking. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, and what, what great listeners dogs are not thinking about, you know, I mean, and I, I'm learning about this. I continue to be reminded about this in my own marriage about, like, this, you know, this isn't about what you have to say about what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. This is just about me just needing to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that creates calmness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So listening without judgment and that, that just being with yep. that, that we, I think now, you know, one of the things and we talk on the show all the time about and and I, with my clients, and when I'm working with people and teaching them how to communicate with their dogs in the context of training and behavior, is, you know, slow down. Mm-hmm. Fewer words, like, yeah. by a lot, you know. Pay attention to the nonverbal communication. Yeah. And we, as humans, are very nonverbal. We just, you know, and, and especially now with how fast everything mm. is and, you know, the phones and the you know, da 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 faster, 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 sit, 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 sit. It's like, okay, 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 hold on, slow down. And to teach people really how to be with their dogs. And then when they see how their dogs respond to them, when they tune in, mm-hmm. and then the dog's like, oh, hi, thanks for being here because mm-hmm. you haven't really been. I'm just sort of, I'm kind of here. But so really the quality of interaction, I mean, there is so so much there. I'm just finishing up a book actually on this topic that I've, I've, I've written. And there's so much opportunity for us to learn about ourselves and um, in a way that will has a, has a positive impact on all of our relationships, you know, relationship with self and then also relationship with 
coworkers, family members, uh, partners, spouses, all that kind of stuff. Dogs really are great teachers. So, um, so you don't have you witnessed? Have you have you had experience with? What tell me your dog's name again? Nariko. Nariko, is is Nariko your first therapy dog? Yes, she's the first. Okay. She's um, almost eleven, oh. and we've been doing it since she uh, was about two. So we've been doing it for about nine years. Okay. How um, have you seen her? Um, has she her um, her work as a therapy dog? Have you seen her evolve as she's matured or had more experience? I would say that. I have to be more aware of her stress mm-hmm. as an older dog yeah. um, than before. Mm-hmm. But she still has an amazing capacity to to give and to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is her true gift. Mm. Um, so that's what I've been most aware of. Um, I actually raised her as a um, canine companions for independence. She was training to be a service dog. Yep. And she failed because she had a heart condition. So mm-hmm. I took her and um, decided that she needed to do more work um, and and became uh, a pet partner with her. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so we've been working together for nine years. But I have to tell you, the first... I raised her when I was a, a hospice nurse, mm-hmm. and I took her with me to work because I couldn't leave her at home. And she was about 10 weeks old. And I went in to visit a patient, um, and I left her in the car because we weren't really supposed to bring animals into the pet into the home. And so I went in, made my visit, and I was ready to come back out. And the this was a man who was probably in his 80s, and he wasn't. He was in the last days of his life. And his daughter followed me out and said, "Is that a black lab puppy you have in your car?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yes." She goes, "Well." My dad loves black labs. Do you think you could bring her in? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So I brought her in as a puppy. And even as a like a a 10-week-old puppy, I put her on the bed with him. And she just gave him a kiss. Mm. And he didn't respond. But what it did for the daughter Mm -hmm. to see that, to see her dad be able to have that interaction with Mm -hmm. a puppy again was priceless. Mm-hmm. And that's a memory that that daughter will be living with for the future. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. You know, that contributes to working with grief mm-hmm. after someone dies is to have those precious memories, and dogs can do that. Yeah. yeah, and we started out when I first, when she first came back home after she didn't make it in the training or didn't qualify because they were, she was supposedly sick with a heart condition, we started doing um, volunteering at a grief camp, Camp Aaron. Yeah, um, and Hold, with kids. Yeah, let's not. That's a that's a big one. Hang on to that. Okay. One. I wanted to stay on the uh, nursing home. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, setting. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I've worked with a, uh, a organization within the school. I went to the University of Vermont. And it was called Pets Helping People. No way. I did. My teammate. <laughs> I did. Stephanie just said, I went to the University <laughs> of Vermont, too. I knew we liked each other. <laughs> I can tell you're from the East Coast. Correct? Correct. Yeah. I can't hide it. All right. Well, you got the sheepdog trials. I say dog. Yeah, I know. I hear it. And it's real. Yeah. <laughs> Is that New York? Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Boston. Okay. So um, 
So we got the sheepdog trials, and now we have University of Vermont. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Anyway, so I was an animal science major and um, loved UVM, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Everyone does. Yeah. And there is this organization called Pets Helping People. And this was before, I mean, I don't think you could get away with this now because there are organizations that, that sort of certify therapy dogs and there's a little more regulation around this now. But it was just, you know, maybe four or five students. We'd take a van mm-hmm. over to the Greyhound Rescue mm-hmm. of Vermont. Mm-hmm. The woman who ran the rescue would just pick the dogs that she knew were, you know, suitable, and it would be just a few, would load them up into the van with us and um, head to an, a nursing home in the area uh-huh. and just bring the dogs around and visit with the residents who wanted to. And we rarely did we ever leave with dry eyes. Um, and the dogs loved it. The dogs were amazing. I mean, it was it was awesome. There's one named Monty. I remember that we were just all swooning over all the time, and he was a special guy. And the greyhounds have this kind of quiet, gentle uh, presence to them. And these are ex-racing greyhounds. And gentle. So we're walking around, and people would you could see them with the hands. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they'd see see us walk by with the dog, and oh, you know, and and we said, would you like to say hi? And we'd bring them over. And then they would reminisce about the dogs that they had. Oh, we always had, you know, corgis and uh, or whatever, you know, that talk about their dogs. And, I mean, that alone, what a, what a treat to connect somebody who wasn't able to live with dogs anymore in a nursing home and remember the dogs that they had lived with. Right. And, and, um, and there was this... One woman who was, and you had mentioned this, um, about individuals who are beyond communication. And I don't know if it was, I think, Alzheimer's, where she was sort of wandering around a little bit, um, making noises sort of repetitively, but mm-hmm. not speaking. And, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and she saw, I think we were on our way out, and she saw us with the dogs and be, uh, became quiet and came over to us mm-hmm. and put her hands on the dog and lowered her head down to his head mm-hmm. and just, like, touched touched her forehead, you know, like, kind of touched foreheads and just, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we're... Yeah, and we're all like get in the elevator and just all start bawling afterwards, you know, right. after witnessing that. But the connection that she was able to make where connection to how we know it in reality is so challenged was so, so powerful. Mm. And I think for family members, um, I volunteered as a hospice volunteer with my dog and I went to nursing homes and it was really... To know that uh, as a family member, you could find something that would be able to maybe reach their family member who couldn't remember them, couldn't talk, mm. was really important. And when you ask what as a volunteer with hospice would be different than just volunteering anywhere else, mm-hmm. it would be that awareness um, of of the role that you could play even with a nonverbal patient, even with someone who couldn't move anymore, um, 
And like I said, too, not only are you there for that patient that you're visiting, but as you walk by, many other patients are reaching out, as are the staff. Yeah. And so you provide support to staff members just by your presence there. And I've heard that in other therapy dog conversations, like in hospitals, for example, they're going to visit patients, but uh, one story from a past interview, uh, someone's in an elevator and a doctor, you know, shares the elevator and, um, you know, the doctor just wells up and had a really hard experience and, you know, goes down and gives the dog a hug and is just like, oh, I needed this, mm-hmm. you know, so the impact that it has on the staff members as yep. well, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking more with Stephanie and Judy about uh, their work with dogs, uh, how dogs play a therapeutic role in end of life settings. And I think we'll switch gears a bit and, and focus a little bit more on grief and talk about your work with Camp Aaron and uh, and uh, all that good stuff. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're a good dog. You're a good dog. You're a good dog. Yes, you are. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country. But if you live in western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, November 20th, by special request, it's Vet Sunday with our favorite animal world vet, Dr. Bill Burlingame. He is the expert on the best immune system support for both animals and humans. He uses a very balanced approach and has a wealth of information that you can tap for free. And Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. 50. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. Hi, I'm Eric Ryder, Operations Manager for Alternative Talk 1150. We value your opinion and invite you to visit 1150kknw.com to fill out the 2016 Alternative Talk listener survey. Your responses help us shape Alternative Talk to your listening needs. And as a bonus, just by filling out the survey, you'll have a chance to win a prize pack featuring certificates from Quinault Beach Resort and Casino at Ocean Shores and the Melting Pot Restaurant. Complete contest details can be found 
found at 1150kknw.com. So log on now. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. And now back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. Yes, you are. What a good dog. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Oh. Oh, welcome back to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. It's National Hospice Month, the month of November, and we're talking about therapy dogs in a in end of life, in the context of end of life, including hospice. And in the booth with me today, we have a full house. It's fun. We have Stephanie Mel, who's a clinical liaison and nurse consultant with Providence Hospice. We have Judy Finn, who's a palliative care nurse and uh, also the human part of a therapy dog team. (laughs) Um, And Judy is with Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. And then we have Alex Urich, who is the new patient service rep in the transplant transplant clinic of Seattle Cancer Care Alliance as well. And um, we've been talking about hospice and end of life and sharing stories of of dogs and how dogs help us make connections in a way that brings comfort and ease and uh um you know eases fear and also helps uh, professionals connect with their clients uh through the connection a shared connection with dogs if you've missed any part of this episode or any of our over 400 episodes now you can find them archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can go to iTunes and download them all for free as a free audio podcast. Oh. And you can also go to SoundCloud. Um, that is how we post them through our Facebook page, too. So if you have not liked The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook, be sure to uh, find us there as well. And I just wanted to send a quick shout-out to Sheen Cullen at Sputnik Studio in Fremont, who is uh, was my first contact you gave me, uh, Sheen gave me Judy's card and then through another friend actually connected with Stephanie and this all came together really, really nicely. So At the right time. Yeah. So that's Sputnik Studio in Fremont. They're awesome. So, and Sheen works, uh, she volunteers with mm-hmm. you, Judy, um, at this camp uh, called Camp Aaron and it's a um, grief camp mm-hmm. for, for children. For correct? children, yes. Who've experienced a loss in their life. Mm-hmm. So parent, uncle, sibling, friend, aunt, grandmother. Okay. Um, and so how long, is it a week-long camp? It's actually a um, 
three-day, two-night camp Okay, that is totally free mm-hmm. to the kids mm-hmm. um, through the Safe Crossings Foundation, which is another part of, of uh, Providence. Providence. And um, they actually started the Moyer Foundation also funds them. And so there are many Camp Aaron camps in many Major League Baseball cities. So it's all across the United States. Oh, that's great. Um, but it started here, is that right? It started yeah. here in Snohomish County. Oh, and right. and Erin, E-R-I-N, is the young lady who was the impetus to get it started. Wow. How so, amazing. Yeah. So tell us about your work. I mean, so just talking about grief a little bit, because I think this is, you know, grief is, uh, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And, and it's... Not something that we're, you know, just, it's not something you learn in school unless you take a death and dying class like I did in sociology, but, right. Um, or a, a psychology class or something like that. But personally, you know, when we talk about emotional intelligence personally, how do we navigate grief? And it's, it's a process in my experience that I have no control of. I can, I can control how I respond to my feelings but grief sort of has its way with mm-hmm. you and and it and it and it stages right the stages of grief and so <clears throat> what is your what has been your experience with bringing Noriko into Camp Aaron and how does Noriko help children process and heal well <clears throat> i think she does it in many ways one like we've talked before when the kids come to camp and they see a dog there, they automatically, there's the first connection. Yeah. And if they have a dog at home or if they love dogs, um, they actually, that's the first thing they do is come and see her because we're there when they're greeting them. Yeah. And also the counselors who are signing up these kids for camp will tell them there's going to be dogs at camp and that will get them to even want to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, camp Aaron has a one camp for kids age 6 to 12 and another weekend where they do kids from 12 to 18. Mm-hmm. And I would say both ages, um, there is a comfort when they see the dog, mm-hmm. when they talk about tough things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, one of the counselors might motion me to come over or I will see it and I'll bring Nariko over and have her just lay down next to that kid, mm-hmm. and they'll start petting them, and uh, the healing starts mm. right then. Um, one time, can I t- share a story? Yeah. Is um, We're there, Noriko and I are there 24 hours a day. All the counselors are there. And um, I got a call one night, um, like around 2 in the morning. Uh, Judy, do you think you and Noriko could come over and sit with this kid? He's She's having a really hard time. She doesn't feel good. We've called her mom. And so we went over there. I got out of my PJs, and Noriko and I walked over, and we sat with her mm-hmm. um, until her mom came to get her. Mm. Um, so there is uh, the other thing we do is um, we our kids really need to have a routine. And one of the routines that we have started is that we tuck the kids in it to bed every night. Mm-hmm. So Noriko and I go around and visit everybody and tuck them in. If um, She used to be, one of the things that's different, she used to be able to jump to this top bunk, yeah. but now she can't do that right. anymore because yeah. she's older. But yeah. um, So we do that, and we wake them up in the morning. Um, 
So that's how we that's how we help out. I think it really helps um, some kids be able to um, connect to those feelings that are inside them. Yeah, and and share them. Yeah, I'm thinking of courthouse dogs. Yes, um, I've talked with Ellen O'Neill Stevens yep, a few times over her, the yeah. years, and they are. Uh, sit with uh, children in um, a, a few different capacities, but one would be forensic interviews where a child is having to um, or is being asked to sit, tell a, a detective uh, what they witnessed yeah. and, you know, gruesome stuff, too, yeah. or what or what happened, what what an individual did to them or or to their mother or whatever, you know. And uh, that a lot of times the kids aren't going to open up to a, a stranger, a strange adult, but they might tell the dog what they saw mm-hmm. or point yeah. to a part on the dog's body or, you know, and it, and it helps um, the detectives, you know, get evidence, the evidence that they need in a lot of cases to bring justice and then also accompanying them uh, in, in court and stuff like that. So I, I'm thinking about a sort of in the same vein very, of connection. Very right? similar. Yeah. Very similar. Because, you know, we often have kids who have witnessed a suicide or actually have had someone be murdered. Mm. And, you know, Nariko can sit there and she has the same face on no matter what the kid says. Yeah. Uh, whereas as a human being, you it's hard to hide sometimes your what that brings up for you. Yeah. And again, at camp... Um, when the kids aren't around, it's the adults, it's the other volunteers yeah, right. who just want to sit and love her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her favorite position is to be on her back with her f- feet splayed and just pet my belly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah. So it's wonderful. Yeah. So Alex is here. Alex was a... Um, just when we actually met at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show a couple years ago, and you are a dog enthusiast and um, just was like, I don't care if I'm on the show, but I just want to come and, and listen. And, and I had asked you during the break, you know, what, what are some what are some thoughts that you're having as you're listening to this conversation from your perspective and your in your experience? Yeah. <clears throat> so in my experience, therapy dogs are so critical to the patient themselves but they can also be so incredibly beneficial to the caregiver Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes the caregiver is kind of missed in the whole treatment process. They're the ones who have to maintain all the information. They have to remember when medications are due, when appointments are and when it comes down to it they're kind of missed. Their emotions, their mm-hmm. feelings about the situation are kind of ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes for good reason, but ultimately they are a person who's being missed in that situation. And providing a dog who, or any animal really, <clears throat> who can be present with them, I think that's been the general theme today is that dogs are just so wonderful at being present and they just give people the chance to feel what they want to feel without pressure. They allow kids to react the way they need to. They allow hospice patients to 
grieve or not grieve or do whatever they need to do to get through the situation they're in. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes just be distracted, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes they just provide a wonderful distraction from this thing they otherwise can't escape yeah. from. Mm-hmm. I think with hard, hard emotions to feel like you um, can, you know, it's not easy to express hard emotions. One, to just be willing to sort of acknowledge them within oneself, but then to communicate those to another human. Um, there has to be a level of safety, trust. a sense of safety, trust, comfort, mm-hmm. and that in so many different situations that we've talked about today and that I've talked about over the years with therapy dogs or just dogs in general, that they help give us access to that expression where we might not have let ourselves relax enough or that we would be willing to um, communicate what's needed to, to a professional so that we can be helped or just for our own emotional process moving through feelings of grief, uh, there's no way out uh, other than through. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So helping us stay present to what's not easy to be present to. And, mm-hmm. and there's way. no wrong way to grieve. Yeah. Everyone's process is completely acceptable, and that's part of having a therapy dog there is feeling okay with whatever you need to get through it. Mm-hmm. When I wanted to... Um, also just send a shout out because we're talking about dogs and hospice that there is also and are um, organizations nationally and there's one here locally called the AHELP project that um, is actually focuses on supporting families through their pets end of life process mm. and that mm-hmm. the it's the dog in the case of our show it's the dog who is at end of life and how do we help support the animal in a way that um, allows them to pass with minimal suffering, um, you know, in a timely way and um, and helping the really supporting the family to help be an advocate for the animal who's really in our hands um, at a really important time. And their website is ahelpproject.org if you're um, feeling like you would benefit from that. And also with grief support. Because grieving a pet is not easy. It's brutal. And uh, it's just as intense as any other grief that I've felt, mm-hmm. for sure, for, for a loved one, human who's passed. So so really great. Um, what a great, uh, great episode today. It's so great to be with you all. Thank you for being here today. And uh, to the work that you do at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and Providence Hospice, um, from the work you do with hospice to the work uh, at Camp Aaron, which is partially put on by Providence, which what an amazing service about that. And uh, just a shout out to dogs because there's just nothing better, right? <laughs> nothing nope. better. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you to our sponsors, Farm Dog Naturals and St. John Creamery. Uh, farmdognaturals.com is their website, Healing Salves cleaners and uh, aromatherapy and also St. John Creamery raw goat's milk. Super, super easy way and powerful way to boost the nutritional value of your pet's food regardless of what you feed. We'll be back next Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. 
You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.